Welcome to the podcast for Zion Stone United Church of Christ, located in the Lehigh Valley of Pennsylvania. I'm Pastor Mike Landsman, and these podcasts are taken from my weekly Sunday morning sermons. We pray that they will bless you, and we would love for you to come visit us and make our church home, hopefully, become your church home. Here's what we have for today. So I'm just going to warn you right now, I'm going to start the sermon today with the same joke I made last year. And that joke is this. There's a theologian, when I used to be on Twitter, I used to follow him and he said, how to combat Trinitarian heresies. Start by abolishing Trinity Sunday, that fateful day on which preachers think they have to explain it. It's a a teacher named Ben Myers. He's a professor uh, at a college, I think in Australia. And that, that, that comment has stuck with me, and I, and I keep coming back to it every Trinity Sunday because I think, he's, I think he's right. Like, I think we fall into a ditch where we try to explain what is essentially kind of unexplainable. And I read that comment every year, right? Every year. It keeps popping back into my mind. And as I was prepping for this sermon, I, was, I kind of had it in mind as I was going through this all. Because the more we try to explain the Trinity, the easier it is for us to fall into actual heresy, which is a word that we don't really like or use too much anymore, but there it is. And I remember my first Trinity Sunday here, I was like, wow, I've actually never had to do this before. So I remember I preached on the Trinity and I sent my notes and the audio to a friend of mine who's much more theologically, uh, well, he's probably... He's much smarter than I am. And I was like, hey, is this, uh, is this any good? Is there anything wrong in there that I need to kind of deal with? And he's like, no, it's as good. So I was like, okay, Phew. I had a, clean, uh, had a clean bill of health. But I think that there's four reasons for why it's difficult for us to grasp Trinitarian theology. And we're going to go through those four reasons very briefly here in the introduction. And then we're going to look at some of the scriptural texts that we heard read today and see what we can learn about the activity of the Trinity in our salvation. So the first, the first difficulty, why it's hard for us sometimes to grasp Trinitarian theology is there's no, there are no natural analogs by which we can compare them. Right? So sometimes when I say there's no natural analogs, there's nothing that occurs in creation that we can look at and say, oh, yeah, that's a, a great example of what the Trinity is. And so some people will use the example of water. You know, water can be a solid, a liquid, or a gas. I've heard people say, oh, the sun is the father, and like the light is Jesus, you know, and the warmth that you feel from that light is, is the Holy Spirit. So we use incorrect examples from nature to try to, to, to explain the one from whom nature was brought forth. So I don't like to try, I don't like to use natural analogs when we talk about the Trinity because it's kind of, they're, they're all, they all fall short. It is in some sense a mystery. The second reason is that we're not operating from the same conceptual framework as people in the past. So sometimes we find ourselves unable to follow their lines of thought because we don't have any grounding in them. I think the third reason that why it's hard to grasp Trinitarian theology is that we are, by and large, increasing in the number of uncatechized people. People just don't know anything about the faith. A former professor, a friend of mine, he once lamented to me, along with some of his peers, that the incoming students at his Christian university knew absolutely nothing about their faith. They couldn't define it. They had no knowledge of Christian history or any of the creeds of the church or any of anything beyond 
just a very, 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 very basic understanding of the faith. The fourth reason is that we try to wrap our minds around the Trinity as a doctrine to be understood. And I think this is the most important thing. The approach, I think, is, it matters. The Trinity is not a doctrine to be understood. It is rather the focal point of our worship. God as Father, God as Son, and God as Holy Spirit. The scholar Donald Fairbairn reminds us, doctrines are statements designed to point us to God. They are not meant as objects of faith, faith themselves. And so, brothers and sisters, when we speak of God as Trinity, we use the language given to us by our forebearers in the faith, as articulated in the ancient creeds of the church. I think that those are appropriate boundary markers and the best way to talk about it. And to go beyond them is to go beyond the faith in some extent. And we're actually, for our confession, we're going to quote from uh, an older creed uh, in a little while. But let's turn really quickly to the passage that we heard read from Romans. Romans. St. Paul said, Therefore we have been justified by faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have obtained access by faith into this grace on which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our suffering, knowing that suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character. Character produces hope. Hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So we see here a snapshot, right, of the activity of the Trinity in salvation. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, through his incarnation, death, and resurrection, has redeemed us and has saved us. And this action on our behalf has justified us. In other words, we have been given peace with God. Scripture says that we were formerly God's enemy. But through Jesus, we are made God's children. And we saw that last week when we talked about how the Holy Spirit assures our adoption as God's children. We go from being somebody who, has, who is opposed to God, opposed to the work of God, opposed to the move of God. God takes us from being actively opposed to him. And through his grace, through his love, and through his mercy, takes us out of that. And he adopts us into his family as his child. We were enemies. We have been turned into children, his children. Not only do we have peace with God, we're also then told, though, not to go back to the way we used to live in sin. Early Christian commentator named Ambrose, I can never pronounce this guy's name, Ambrose Aster, he wrote this, faith reconciles us to God by taking away those sins which has made us God's enemies. And because the Lord Jesus is the minister of this grace, it is through him that we have peace with God. So even though St. Paul doesn't say Father here, we see the Son, Jesus Christ, bringing through faith peace with God. This enables us to stand in grace and to rejoice then in the hope of the glory of God. And this shows us the depths of love and goodness that God has for us, that even though we were far away, God has brought us near. St. Chrysostom reflects that if God brought us, how much more will he keep us now that we are near? And here comes the part, though, that echoes what we heard from last week's reading as well. St. Paul says, we rejoice in the hope of the peace we have been given, but we are also then able to rejoice in our suffering because sometimes, because something comes out of suffering, namely endurance, character, and hope. And I really hate talking about suffering. I can't, I don't like it. We don't like it. It like makes me recoil to actually have to stand here and talk about something that we all experience 
in different ways. And I'm like, didn't we just talk about suffering last week? And that's one of the beautiful things about preaching through the lectionary at times is you have to interact with scripture that you might ignore in other contexts, right? You can't get away from it. You can ignore it. But if you want to preach faithfully, right, to what we've been given, we have to deal with the parts of the text that make us uncomfortable. And these texts about suffering are uncomfortable. Suffering inculcates in us endurance because there are no quick fixes. We can either give in to despair, or we can, like St. Paul, understand that through painful suffering, a producer walk with God can flow forth. And this sounds counterintuitive because sometimes many people's initial response to suffering causes them to doubt God and God's goodness and God's presence and God's love. And working in the hospital, it's interesting how I've seen different stages of this. I've seen people who in deep suffering have turned to God and gained great strength from their faith. And I've also seen people who have turned away from God or doubt God or don't believe in God and react in a different way. Recently, I was reading an article from a priest named Father George Calciu, who, while living in communist Romania, was imprisoned for his faith. He was brainwashed, tortured, and beaten, and suffered for 21 years. After his release, he was asked about his time in prison, and he said this, quoting a French writer, Christ did not come into the world to eliminate suffering. Christ has not even come into the world to explain it. Rather, he came to fill human suffering with his presence. Have you heard? To fill human suffering with his presence. He is present within us more than ever, despite all our sins, all our infirmities. He filled our suffering with his presence. Thus, I understand exactly the deep meaning of this pain. God is present in us. And it is this presence in us that forms this nucleus, and say Paul talks about of endurance, character, and hope. And this is the gift of the Holy Spirit, that Paul says the Spirit has been poured into our hearts, has poured God's love into our hearts. That that outpouring of love, the result of our peace with God, is what assures us in the middle of suffering that we are God's. But it also shows us that we are called to share in the divine life of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Again, Fairbairn, he writes, the Spirit enters into a person. As that person begins to trust in Christ, and the Spirit unites that person to Christ in their humanity, so that person begins to share in Christ's relationship as divine Son to the Father. And then in the Gospel of John, Jesus, speaking to his disciples, said, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot hear them now, bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine, therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So we see this Trinitarian activity again here, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And here we see repeated something that we heard last week about the Holy Spirit being described as the spirit of truth. And I preached a sermon about that actually last Sunday for Pentecost. Now, we only touched on this last week, but notice here the spirit's relation to Jesus. It says the spirit glorifies Jesus Christ. 
The way he glorifies Jesus Christ is through his guiding and declaring to the disciples not only the words Jesus said and the actions he took, but also what those meant and how the scriptures show this to be true. And every good gift that Jesus has for them will be given to them through the Holy Spirit. So we see the Trinitarian shape of things. The Father has given all to the Son, who then gives what has been given to him to us through the giving of the Holy Spirit. St. Theophilact wrote, the Son, is in this, the Son is in this sense the cause of the good things given by the Spirit. He absolved our sin, and so we are rendered capable of receiving the Spirit. Not only this, but the Spirit will then show them things to come. In the Gospels, Jesus often noted future events, and he gave warning to his disciples about what was coming. Things like his own crucifixion, as well as the coming destruction of Jerusalem and the temple. And then in the book of Acts, we see a man named Agabus. And he declares to the Christians in Antioch that a famine was coming, and it enabled the church to prepare. And in the same way the Spirit will lead the apostles, the Spirit will lead us. And they may not be able to understand it all yet, but after Pentecost, which we observed last week, they will. And we will. And this shows that the Spirit of God is active and alive and moving in the body of Christ, the church. And I know I've, I've thrown a lot out at you today there, brothers and sisters, but I guess it's kind of appropriate given what we're, we're talking about here today, what, we're, what we've heard read, what we're declaring today. But if you take anything away from this, I think maybe leave today with this, that the dogma or the doctrine of the Trinity is not something, we don't place our faith in the dogma, right? We accept what has been given to us, what has been handed down to us from our apostolic forebears, that we worship God as Father, God as Son, and God as Holy Spirit. That instead of maybe seeing it in, in, the, in the language of a doctrine to be believed, but as a devotional life to be entered into, right? Because the life that Christ has, he offers that life to us, and he invites us into that relationship too, which we share with him and the Father and the Holy Spirit, who are due all glory, honor, and power forever. Amen. I ask everyone, please stand. Now we've heard the word of God. Let us together affirm our faith. This is the Catholic faith, that we worship one God in Trinity, and the Trinity in unity, neither blending their persons nor dividing their essence. Thus the Father is Lord. The Father was neither made nor created nor begotten from anyone. The Son was neither made nor created. He was begotten from the Father. Amen. Thanks for listening to the podcast for Zion Stone United Church of Christ. If these sermons have been a blessing to you, I'd ask that you would consider helping to meet a major need that we have. Our building is in current need of some necessary repairs, so we've set up a GoFundMe 
gofundme.com slash Stone. And I ask that you would please consider donating there, or if you'd like, you could also mail us something directly. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to contact me, you can reach me at malandsman at gmail.com, or you can find me on the church's Facebook page, Zion Stone United Church of Christ, as well as our website. This podcast is available on iTunes as well as Spotify. Thank you so much again for listening. God bless you.